Hey, Jake. Yeah? What kind of bug does a cowboy ride? What? A horse fly. Insert fake laugh sound. <laughs> <laughs>
um, some good old-fashioned new video games. Heck yeah. Um, so why don't you start, because you've been playing Dragon Quest Builders 2. I have. I'm really, I'm so into Dragon Quest Builders 2. I started playing it on Friday. I was home by myself with the kids, so I was like, oh, I'm going to just go hang out and play on the Switch and fall asleep playing Dragon Quest Builders, and that's exactly what I did. <laughs> I was living awesome. the life. I was living the life. So I didn't really get into Dragon Quest Builders, like the first one. I don't know. They're just The story didn't really hook me. But the story in Dragon Quest Builders 2 is set, I think, like 100 years after the first one. So... It's like a story about rebellion and being like openly rebellious against religious people. And I'm like, sure. Go on. Go on. <laughs> we're, we're encouraging me to be a rebel. Okay. Where do I sign? So it's been so much fun though. I, I love these kinds of games, these kinds of digs and digs and builds games, especially mm -hmm. the ones that actually have a story to them. That's why I struggle with Minecraft sometimes. Cause it's just, there's no story and I don't know what to do. And oh my goodness. Um, Dragon Ball, or sorry, Dragon Quest Builders 2 has a great onboarding system. So the way that they teach you all of the various skills that you're going to need, and the way that they do that is just so interesting, because you're stuck on this ship, and you've been captured by these religious fanatics, and you end up making yourself useful as a builder, even though building has been outlawed. It's wild. So I really, really am enjoying myself. I've played for a handful of hours at this point. I'm looking forward to getting back into it, I don't know, maybe tonight. We'll see. Cool. So yeah, I'm really, really liking Dragon Quest Builders 2, but I, here's the problem, Steve. Yeah? I need you to get the game. We gotta play together. <laughs> we just talked about this. You no, know, it's true. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We literally but also, just... But also we, at the same time. Hear me we out. We literally just talked about it. Hear However... Me out. Okay. Hear me out. I just really want to play video games with you. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm done. That's, that is more than fair. Um, I can say this with certainty. Um, Dragon Quest Builders 2 and the next game that you're going to talk about um, after yeah. I take my turn um, yes. are very likely the next two video games that will be coming into this home um, because I want to play them um, very desperately. Um, and I also think they are perfect for the EFG audience. Um, so, And I need to know about them for game of the year material because that's the kind of stuff we're talking about right now because this year's weird <laughs> um this year's weird when marvel ultimate alliance 3 is peeking out from behind the tv going check me out i might be your game of the year that's saying some stuff um it just means we're waiting for breath of the wild 2 but um okay so dragon quest builders 2 you're a couple hours in it looks adorable it's got multiplayer which is that's the big difference between the first that and the first one or arguably one of the biggest differences, obviously, there are yep. systems differences, too. Um, I mean, and that's one thing that is, you know, when they pitched Dragon Quest Builders as, like, Minecraft, but with Dragon Quest stuff going on and more of a story, one of the things that I immediately looked for was, where's the cooperative element? Because Minecraft, for a lot of folks, is a cooperative experience. It's them and their buddies running amok or you know them and their little brother or little sister running amok um now you can do that yep. um is there couch co-op or is it only online 
I think it's only online. Okay. I don't think that there's a way to do couch co-op. Don't quote me on that because I haven't tried it yet because I've only been playing it solo. Um, Mike has been really pushing Marvel Ultimate Alliance, so, you know, that's where I've been. Guess who, guess who does know whether or not it has it? Google. Is it um, you? Oh, okay, it's the internet. Google, Google definitely does. <laughs> the internet I don't. knows. <laughs> the internet definitely knows. Because this is the thing. You can't trust the internet for most things, but this is the kind of thing um, that you would need. So, all right. You can, if you are playing on Switch, you can play uh, vocal via local wireless, but you need different switches. So it's not local co-op, but you can do, but you can do local play if you're playing on multiple switches. Mm-hmm. Okay. You, um. So there's that. So. Okay, so that's pretty much how Marvel Ultimate Alliance works as well. Okay. Oh, you can't play the same. You can. No, no, you definitely can play couch co-op without having two switches, but how Mike and I have been playing it is on two switches because yeah. it's, you know. Because why not? Why? why not. Well, why share screens if you don't have to? All right, so we're going to talk about Marvel Ultimate Alliance in a moment. Dragon Quest Builders. So that's Dragon Quest Builders 2. It is out. It's available on Switch. PS4, Xbox. Is it on Xbox? Is it on Xbox? The Google knows... <laughs> Google knows all. Well, well like I said, not all, it's but, great you know. for things that you don't need to trust. Sure. Like goo- like nerdy crap, it's perfect. No, it is not on Xbox. It is available okay. did- on the uh, Switch, and it is available on PlayStation 4. Um, and uh, it looks like it's already discounted on the Switch, on, on the Amazon. How good is that? So it's already like 50 bucks. Go to work, folks. Um, all right, so I want to talk about a game that's a demo that just came out today. It's on Switch and PS4, and that is the uh, latest game from uh, the Tokyo RPG Factory, and that is an action RPG called Oninaki. Tell me more. Okay. Um, I will say uh, it is hella Japanese. <laughs> Um, That's a good description. Yeah. Also, Dragon Quest Builders 2 is also hella Japanese. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, Oninaki, here's the setup. Um, it's an action RPG where you are... Um, it's, it's actually, while I was playing the setup, Evan was sitting next to me, and he's like, are you just playing, like, Xenoblade Chronicles, Dad? Because, like, you're meeting people that turn into your weapons. And I was like... It's a Japanese thing, man. Like, so, basically, you are a watcher. And a watcher is someone who is able to, at will, move between the land of the living and the land of the dead. And your job is to help find spirits who are lost and help bring them peace. Because if they are lost, um, they, uh, you know, they can't go to the afterlife. And if they don't go to the afterlife, that means they can't reincarnate. So it's very important right. that you help these lost souls go. Okay. One of the ways you do that is you bring them to, like, for example, like in the opening minutes of the game, you bring a lost child to his parents, and you can give that, as long as the lost person is standing near a watcher, they can talk to people, and they can, like, communicate mm-hmm. with the... Um, they can communicate with, you know, the living, you know, and... This game's a little dark. Um, you know, it's rated T for teen. 
Um, at the end of the day, it's just a generic action RPG. I like dark. In the opening, I mean, there's no blood. There's no, you know, there's nothing like that. However, in the opening segment that's part of this demo, um, you have to go find a lost boy, and then you bring him back to his parents, and then his he decides that he doesn't want to be as so he decides he doesn't want to be alone, and he tells his parents that. And they okay. come up with a very creative solution for him not being alone. If you follow. Okay. They have the watch. I guy. do follow. Yeah. So I was like, whoa. Now, in this world, everyone is reincarnated as long as you're no longer lost. So to a degree, it's kind of like, like a whatever like mm-hmm. I guess call a mulligan on this one. I don't I I don't know. <laughs> so, um with that said, some of the spirits uh become demons. Sp- okay. Spelled D A E M O N. So like they become demons and then they okay. host GameScoop. Um and so that was a very deep cut. Um that, but it was funny. That was a lot. So That's good, though. So they um they are they have no memory. They're lost spirits that have no memories and they have you know, but they're not truly lost, and these are your weapons. So you will occasionally find them. So you start with a spirit who is your sword, and then you find a spirit who is your spear, and then there's a spirit who happens to be guns, and one's a boomerang and a bow and arrow, etc. You can equip four of them at a time, eventually, and you can change between them. They all have weird combo attacks and very anime power moves. Um, this is just a crazy JRPG action thing. Um, I think the art style is very cool. Um, it's, I'm going to have to look it up. Yeah, you should. Um, I think it's pretty in a um, you know a very minimalist way. You know what it really... I like that, though. Um, yeah, no, I, I appreciated it. Um, I think this has the chance to be the best game Tokyo RPG Factory has ever made. Um, That's awesome. I loved Setsuna, even though... Like, I am Setsuna, even though it wasn't a great game. It was at least impactful. To- Tokyo RPG Factory is awesome at making sevens. They just yes. always putting out sevens. Um, and I think this one could be like a 7.5 or a 7.8. Right? Like, it's one That's of those... pretty good! Like, this is... I agree. And I don't mean that... Like, I played it. I enjoyed the demo portion of it. There's a demo that's available on Switch and PS4 where your, your progress will actually carry through. So you get to yeah, keep Tokyo your progress. Yeah, Tokyo RPG Factory is great for that. Because yeah. they're... The game that they did, bef- like, after Setsuna, I think I forget I what, uh, Lost Sphere. Lost Sphere, that's what it was. I ended up playing that demo just in case I ended up purchasing Lost Sphere. I didn't end up doing it because I didn't care for the demo. Um, yeah, I didn't particularly care for that one either. Um, but I Am Setsuna was just, like, trying to be Chrono Trigger. I know. Um, but, like, I think that's the problem is it tried to be Chrono Trigger. Like, really, bro, you're never going to be Chrono yeah, Trigger. But, no one's going to be Chrono um, Trigger, except for Chrono Trigger. Yeah, um, I actually have a whole episode of my podcast where I talk about it uh, with uh, my cousin Peter Brown um, from GameSpot because he was not a fan. Um, oh. Yeah, he was not a fan. Chrono Trigger is one of his favorite games of all time. It's not Final Fantasy Tactics, his favorite game of all time, but it's in there. So, um, and he and I are kind of in the same spot, is that they're really good at just putting out good stuff, but they're, no, they're not putting tough, out Game of the Year containers. it's not amazing. Yeah. Exactly. And I really feel like this is one of those games that's just going to be in there. The difference is, rather than a bunch of turn-based games like what they made before, this one's an action RPG. Um, 
So I think it'll be a little bit more accessible. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think this is one of those games that's really going to resonate. Um, this is going to resonate with a lot of folks. That's awesome. So, yeah, so that's Oninaki. There's a demo available literally right now. So when you're listening to this, if you've got some free time, um, I played for about an hour. Yeah, you should definitely turn around and tell someone to download it so that you can play it later. Um, so you, so that's it. That's Oninaki. Like I said, it's a demo out right cool. now. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I'm definitely going to download that because that yeah. sounds so very much up my alley. Um, yeah, and... Uh, for zero dollars, the demo is absolutely amazing. That's great, man. So you okay. also, um, you've talked about it. Um, I, I was I was dreading talking about it because of pure jealousy. Um, <laughs> but you've been talking about Marvel Ultimate Alliance three. You have been playing that. Um, I have. Tell me, tell me a story. Well, so Marvel Ultimate Alliance three is a very interesting game to play co-op i haven't played much single player the single player is well i mean like i played it at at e3 and it was really solid it was a great demo at e3 i loved it really enjoyed playing captain marvel um the traversal and flight or whatever is a little yep. is a little janky but it still works okay. and carol is a cool character to play as so i liked i liked the single player stuff i saw at e3 and we, you know, picked it up and started it from the beginning, obviously, um, just a couple days ago. And Mike and I have been playing co-op on two Switches. So we've been playing local co-op. Okay. And, you know, the game encourages you to build a varied, robust team, just like they have in previous games. So you get bonuses based on who you have in your team. But one of the biggest drawbacks for co-op is that I can only control... Like, if I am playing as the co-op, in like, if I'm invi- invited or I join Mike's game, I can only play as one character. Versus Mike can play the other three characters because it's his game. Hmm, okay. That was one of the, that was one of the weirder things going on there. So we had, to, we had to do some finagling to make that work so I could play the character I wanted to play and... And everything like that. So we're not very far in yet. We're only maybe an hour and a half into the game. But combat is really satisfying. Make sure you don't use heroic camera mode in multiplayer at all. Because it just breaks. (laughs) Where you can't see your characters whatsoever if you're playing on two switches. It's just nightmarish. Huh. Um... But yeah, I like it. I like it so far. I think it's solid. Okay. I'm not seeing any frame rate drops. I'm not seeing some of the like lag issues or whatever that some of the other some other critics have been talking about. I've been keeping my eyes peeled for it. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it's it's an Ultimate Alliance game, and it's on Switch, and I couldn't be happier about it. That's really what this comes down to. Just more, need more, more time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so. The, the original Ultimate Alliance games were so stupid, right? Yeah. Um, in, in all, in, in in all a, the best ways. Yeah, exactly. They were stupid in a very Steven Dutzman way. Um, because I love really dumb games where you put together team-ups of really just janky shenanigans. Um, and the thing that I really appreciate is, number one, this game has the biggest roster in the history of the Ultimate Alliance franchise. 
Um, and also, this is Marvel Ultimate Alliance coming out when there's DLC. Like, we live in a games-as-service um, environment um, yeah, where you could just keep adding heroes and 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 levels and challenges uh, ad infinitum. And story. And story, etc. And these are comic books, and we all know. Like, if the movies have proved anything, they can just get dumb. Welcome, and if you don't know what I mean, just watch the Hall H panel, and you'll understand that Marvel can just literally do whatever they want, and everyone's gonna be real excited. Uh, yeah. Myself included. That was so much hype, and I was so living for it at the same time. (laughs) Exactly. And they can just do whatever they want. I mean, pretty much as soon as they planned, they released a movie with a talking raccoon. Like, everything was over. And so, this is... So, um, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 is out right now. One thing that is worth mentioning um, is it does have a, a season pass. It's 20 bucks. It includes three packs of four characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so far, they have announced the first wave, and you can't buy them separately. So the first wave is the Marvel Knights, and that yep. is Moon Knight, Punisher, Blade, and Morbius the Living Vampire. So these are the edgy heroes. Um, and Moon Knight. Although, I think Moon Knight counts as edgy. Um and also on August 31st, which is very important to me, Colossus and Cyclops are coming as a free update. Free update! Um, you don't have which, to pay for them! I mean, listen, if they told me that it was an extra $50 to get Cyclops, I probably would have done it. I just would have done it without telling my wife, probably, because she would get mad. But, you know, Cyclops, he's important to me. Um, so... The and of course I would have told my wife, guys. She listens to the podcast. Um, so the uh, so Cyclops and Colossus are coming. I think that's a great pairing to just be like, here, have these these two iconic X Men characters. It's a little weird that Cyclops was not in the main roster. I'm sure they had a reason. This feels like they were two guys that just kind of got balanced out towards the end, and they were like, we got to make this game, so we'll just give you guys these two for free. It's fine because mm-hmm. um, eventually you got to make the game and and put it out. Um, Got a ship. Exactly. Um, And then, so the other two packs are X-Men, which are characters that are not Cyclops and Colossus, which I had kind of assumed were going to be in there when they didn't make the main roster. And the other one, uh, was it, is it the Fantastic Four? I think so. Let's look, because I'm curious. To the internet. Yeah, the internet will tell us. Um. Yeah, let's see. What's the and the expand? I mean, it's it's twenty bucks for the expansion pass, but um, okay. Okay, yeah. The three packs are the X Men, the Fantastic Four, and Marvel Knights. So my guess is the Fantastic Four will be the Fantastic Four. Um, and the X Men are currently unannounced, but the Marvel Knights is. Um, it's actually a full DLC pack called Marvel Knights Curse of the Vampire. Um, and so it's going to include story stuff and other shenanigans, um, and vampire stuff. Half of that team is vampires. So, and then there's the Punisher. Um, I think this is going to be, this is one of those games that's going to stick around for a while. And I would not be surprised if they did a season two. Um, because there's so many heroes. I agree. Um, So, that is Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3. Um, Alright. So, I'm going to do some quick hits. 
some video games that I played while I was yeah. a judge at the Connecticut Festival of Independent Games. So, I'm very excited about this. Okay. So, I played a bunch of games. Um, and you know what? I have a list. Um, so, the first game that I played was... And the, the only thing that... Here's the frustrating thing about going to, the, to like, CT Fig or Boston Fig is that sometimes you run into student projects that, like... Those, those can be fun, though. Hold, please. Um, <laughs> you run into student projects that are... Um, you run into student projects that are absolutely 100% put this on iPad and make $2 million. I'm like, sometimes you run into stuff that is like, no, for real, you should market this. And they're like, nah, I'm just going to put it up on itch. And, you know, or it's going to be a web-based game and I'm going to accept donations. And I was like, but dude, can I say And, and, and I'd be like, man, I wish I like had no ethics because I would totally just publish this for you. Uh, because on iOS publishing it co- would cost me a couple hundred dollars. Um, so he, so this game, the the game that I'm talking about now is a game called Alike. Um, you can look at it now. There's actually a demo. Um, if you go to d hyphen mahal m a h a l dot github dot io, you can play it right now. Um, they have a free a free version. Basically. Alike is a puzzle game where you um, move, it's on a grid, and you move uh, colored squares through the grid, and you have to navigate the various squares to the end point. Um, and they each have an end point. You have to get them okay. there without them um, being sucked into space or falling into pits, etc. Um, so this is a very simple puzzle. Here's the trick. Um, it gives you no instructions... And the only feedback that you get is that you f- is that eventually the puzzle becomes impossible and you have to hit a reset button. That's it. Um, it's playable on mobile with swipe swipe controls. Also, um, it's playable on just web with uh, uh, keyboard uh, with you know the directional keyboard, and then you can use mm-hmm. the space bar to reset the puzzle. Um, I said to this man, sir, this game is very good. You should put this on iPad and Switch. And you will make many dollars. And he's like, well, I really was just going to put it up as a web game on itch. And I said, okay. <laughs> I'm not here to tell you what to do. But my at the under- same time, hear me out. But hear me out. Money. Um, and so uh, I thought it was great. It was actually my pick for the show. It didn't win, but it was my vote for um you know game of the show uh for digital games because it is so clean it's so cool um i do not like puzzle games generally because i am stupid um and so um usually like i get the puzzles and like i'll hand the controller to my wife or i'll hand it to my kids like some of the some of the the temples in like breath of the wild like really broke my head um this is perfect for me. I really, really liked it. I looked at him, like, so every time I would get to a new level, I would look at it, and I would look around at him, and I would give him this face, like, what the hell are you doing, man? This is so rude. But I would figure it out. Got it. Um, so, yeah, so that's a like. Very good. Again, um, I'm gonna put the, uh, the, uh, in the show notes, because we have those now, 
um, I'm going to put the link. So uh, the next game that I played is uh, Cloak and Dasher. Um, Cloak and Dasher is a 8-bit style platformer um, that is... Well, it's like Super Meat Boy, but with like a Shovel Knight palette. Um, I liked it well enough, but it really just made me want to play Meat Boy. Okay, you know? that's fair. Um, and like, that's it. Like, it was cool. Um, it was, you know, a lot of folks really liked it. Uh, Rob from, uh, Pawn's Perspective, he absolutely loved Cloak and Dasher. Um, so, it's just, for me, um, I actually got a little frustrated with it, um, just because a lot of the, um, levels were all single screen, so it was like... You know, you were traversing, but a lot of them forced you to, like, go all the way around the screen. So you start on, like, at 9 o'clock, and you have to get all the way to 8 o'clock, and then go all the way back, all the way around again, um, and dealing with the obstacles, which are slightly different now, because you're coming at them from a different direction, and it had no checkpointing, and some of the, the mechanics were a little not fair. Okay. Um, so I finished the demo, which, you know, I was one of... I guess at the end of it, like, you know, only 25% of people were completing the demo in time. So, like, I did it, but it just made me want to play Meat Boy. Mm, that's fair. Um, next is Depths of Sanity, which I'm sure you've actually seen before. It's the submarine Metroidvania that has been at, like, all yes. the different PAXs, and it was yes. at GDC. And it's yep. coming to Xbox One, PS4, and Switch next year. Um, I thought the game was pretty cool. Um... It beat my head in a little bit because it was kind of hard. Um, I really appreciated the way they animated the submarine because one of the things they have added recently is that as you rotate the submarine around in a circle, it actually kind of spins. So it is okay. so the the graphic rather than it just rotating in a circle, it kind of rotates so that you know at one point during its rotation you can kind of see the bottom of the ship, and then another you can see the top of it, and so it's doing like this eight point kind of rotation while it turns, which is kind of neat, and the monsters are doing it too. Uh, so it's actually really cool looking. Uh. Um, Depths of Sanity, it was really interesting, the demo I played, because I played in the first biome, but I fought the boss that was for, like, level four. Um, so I, I didn't really get a full picture of what the game will, like, play like as far as finding new powers, but it is a straight-up Metroidvania. Eventually you get a drill, so you can go back to the very beginning and start drilling through stuff. It's cool. It's kind of neat. That's awesome. Um, the controls control like a submarine. So if they're a little floatier, you know what it really reminded me of? Is, did you play a little bit of Song of the Deep? That GameStop did, published yes. joint? Kind of controlled yeah. like that. Okay. So the next game that we played, or that I played, was a game called Feral Frontier. Now this game is one that we might see eventually. Okay. Um... And I hope we do, because the bones are amazing. Um, so Metroidvania, like 16-bit, you're, you're a fox um, that runs around, kind of, you know, 16-bit platformer. Um, but here's the shtick. You can climb everything. Okay. Everything. So at some points, he's like he described that sometimes you can just... If you're falling, you can take a leap of faith and hold the grip button 
and you'll catch ceilings, walls, corners, and then you can try and recover from there. Um, okay. And he didn't tell me that until like three quarters of the way through my demo, and I was like, dude, no, you gotta, this is the coolest part of the game. Because it's, it's like Super Metroid, only you can climb all the walls. Yeah, it's pretty rad. Um, which was awesome. Um, and then there's lots of movement that is very speedrunner. Like, very open-ended. My only real challenges with this game are... Um, this dude is going to overscope the heck out of it. So he needs a publisher to be like, bro, no. You gotta, you gotta chill. Yes. Also, um, I, he was very enthusiastic. Okay. But I could not hear the music because he was talking the whole time. Oh, um, no. but it was so, but this is clear. This was one of my favorite games that I played because That's it awesome. was super neat, super cool. Um, <laughs> I liked the way the character looked and <laughs> like this cool, like blue poncho thing. Um, it was kind of like a cape. It. Yeah. Um, so it's super rad. So that's called Feral Frontier. This is one of those I... games that event in a couple of years, I'm going to talk about it again and be like, <coughs> Amanda, you remember that thing? And you're going to be like, no. Um, <laughs> and you're probably right. You're, you're and it's right. going to be right. like, it's going to be like King of the Hat. It's going to be one of those things where like, I really, King really loved it. Awesome though. Yes. Um, I almost had them convinced to rename the washing machine Steve. By the way, um, the King of the Hat guys. Um, I really hope that they do. Okay. Um, but so it's one of those things where I found King of the Hat at Bfig, and championed it forever. Not like they, I was their only guy. Um, but uh, and then all of a sudden it's like out and everybody knows it and wants to play it. This is gonna be one of those things where I'm gonna see it and it's gonna be. I'm, I'm gonna remind you. And be like, I found this game first. <laughs> I loved it first. All right, so um, next is a game called Soul Commander. Um, this is a top-down space strategy game where you have ships. And the best way that I can describe it is that it is like a digital version of uh, X-Wing. Okay. That's it. It's digital X-Wing. It's like cool. digital... Yes, it is digital X-Wing meets like frozen synapse. Because so it's like real-time turn-based strategy. Um, but with spaceships, where you're kind of flowing... You gotta fly through um, meteors and asteroids, and you're dogfighting. It's kind of cool. It definitely needs like a UI pass and better controls, you know, the things that yeah, you need you. to take a game from demo mode to full release. Uh, but this mm -hmm. is going to be one of those games that I'm really looking forward to playing. Um, and it's made by two dudes. One of them lives in Hong Kong, and one of them lives in, like, Weathersfield, Connecticut. That's rad. Um, and I'm like, when do you guys get to, like, when do you get to talk? Because, <laughs> like, damn. Um, and lastly, I'm going to talk about Where Shadows Slumber. Now, oh. tell me that that name doesn't just scream your aesthetic. Go on. Okay, it's a mobile game. Okay, that's cool. Um, I'm in. Yeah, I know. Um, you know who I really have been trying to pitch this game this game to pretty hard is Susan Arndt. Um, really? Yes, because she, she does loves, love her mobile games. She loves obnoxious and dark mobile puzzle games. That's like her jam. So this is where Shadow Slumber picture. Because uh, this is this one is not for the kids. Um, the the guy Frank, I've known him for a while. 
um, you know, because I've run into him at like B-Fig and other shows. He, um, he actually designed a board game called Mr. Game, um, and it didn't do super well, so now he makes mobile games. Um, so the, really? yeah, um, so where Shadow Slumber, picture uh, Monument Valley style game, tap okay. to move, um, and the idea is you're holding a lantern, and there are obstacles within the room that when you move shadow, if you move behind it, with a lantern, obviously it creates shadows on the opposite sides of these things. And when you put shadows in certain places, they may make a bridge appear because shadows went over it. So the idea is you need to move around the area, manipulate the light, and create shadows because where shadows slumber are the solutions to your puzzles. Um, it is pretty rad. Um, I enjoyed it. I've been, you know, I've, I've played it a bunch of times. Um, and so, yeah, and it's pretty, it's a, it is. It's been out for a while. Uh, it's a pre. One of the advantages it is a premium mobile title. Oh, awesome! So no in-app purchases, no none of that stuff. It's just a premium mobile title. She says as she grabs her phone. She <laughs> says as she grabs her phone. Um, yeah. So that's where Shadow Slumber. So those were the nominees uh, for um, digital game of the show at CT Fig. Uh, the winner was Cloak and Dasher. Um, that was not my pick. However, I can understand why. Very, it, the controls were very sound. I was just some of the uh, the dash mechanic I did not like. <coughs> it just made me want to play Meat Boy. With that said, uh, this game is going to come to Switch next year. So, eight bit platformers <laughs> coming to the Switch. It's going to print money. It's going to print money. Um, so that's good. So yeah, that was CT Fig. I think that's I very think, cool. I think that's our games, yo. Do you play anything else? I think else? that's our games. I played Sea of Solitude. What'd you but think? But I'm going to be writing a full review of it okay. for Prima Games. So, so let's chat about that after your review so we can yeah. link to it in our newly uh, designed exactly. show notes. Exactly. All right. So how about let's take a break, and then we'll come back, and then we're going to talk about news. Yeah. All right, folks. We'll be back in a minute. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Engage, a family gaming podcast. It's still Steven. It's still Amanda. It's still episode 190, and we're still talking about video games. So before the break, we talked about a bunch of video games, which is something that Amanda and I don't get to do nearly as often as we should because sometimes we're too busy to play games. But one thing we are not too busy to do is pontificate about video game news. Um, so let's start by talking about Nintendo announcing a new console. I mean, um, so, holy crap. So you are the person who literally runs the news site. So um, not just a news site, the news site. So tell us the news about the new Nintendo console. All right. So the new Nintendo console, Lite, is it's handheld only. It's mm -hmm. supposed to be coming in September. It. <laughs> trimmed a couple of features so there's no longer HD rumble so you're not going to get that very annoying slash satisfying rumble when you hit something in a game True. Um, and there's no TV output so those features are gone so this is handheld only this is what analysts are saying is going to be the replacement for the 3DS or the 2DS I suppose because there are no games that are really coming out on the 2DS at all anymore True. So this is going to be this is going to end up being that 
it's going to end up satisfying those folks. Yep. Um, we ended up calling it the Swont because it doesn't actually switch. Hmm. It doesn't switch from the you television. You guys are so clever. It's, yeah, it is that weird, was a mic right? Thing, so yeah, that's yeah, not, that definitely swont. sounds like a mic thing. It was a mic so, thing. So it's so to fill in some of the blanks. Because I, I have more. We can we can keep yeah, talking. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's two hundred bucks. I think it that's is. the real key. It's it's it trimming is. some features, but it's two hundred dollars. And two hundred and two hundred dollars for a handheld console is still fairly steep. If we take a look at what the pricing looks like for, um, for a 3DS, I mean, you can get a 3DS for, I don't know, hundred bucks True. maybe, or a 2DS for a hundred and twenty. It's like it's not that expensive, but for an extra seventy or eighty dollars, you're able to pick yourself up a fairly decent Switch. But the problem is that there are going to be titles that are going to require docked mode potentially and there there's going to be a weird split in the development community for switch there are going to become switch only like switch mobile only games or switch mobile focused games sure and that's interesting but i don't know how that's going to play out over the long term so I mean, it it's got some interest. It's it's interesting. I mean, it's the what we've been hearing from analysts is the Switch is set up to be the be- the best selling console of 2019, and you know Nintendo sh- has shipped like in the la- in their last fiscal year they shipped 17 million units. Mm-hmm. That's which is a lot. A lot. Mm-hmm. They they had a target of 20, which was like way too optimistic. That was inappropriate. It was uh, totes and approves. It was totes and approves. But they tried. So the cool thing about the Switch Lite is that it's going to be coming out just before holiday season. It's going to be coming out before Pokemon Sword and Shield. It's going to be coming out before Animal Crossing. Uh Um, And I think that there's going to be... I think that that's going to end up being the real Switch Lite console sellers is... I wanted this to be just a mobile device. I don't care if I can't output it to my television. I want a decent battery life. I want to be able to take it on the go with me. I don't care about docking it. You still dock it to charge it, but you know you can also use just a regular USB-C cable. So Yeah. So I can understand, and I'm sensing, a, a, a healthy amount of skepticism. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to counterpoint because I'm a living hype monster. It's true. And that's the best thing. I love so, it. So here is what I think this is. And and so you're right. You know, it's 200 bucks, which is pricey now. Um, yes. But what I'm doing is thinking back to the 3DS XL at its peak, where the 3DS XL was cleaning up every holiday. Um, yeah, you're right. And it was 200 bucks. So That's fair. Um, I think... Um, I think, with that said, I think it, there's room to be skeptical and understanding that this thing's going to sell a bazillion units. Like, because mm-hmm. I think that there are, that it, that it, just because it sells a lot doesn't mean that it's great long term. And I mm-hmm. agree for you, I agree that it will have an impact on the development community. They're going to have to figure some stuff out. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm sure they are figuring that out as we speak. Right. Um, 
but this thing is uh, you know at two hundred at a two hundred dollar price point. This is I can. This is a situation where you know I can definitely see family saying, you know what, we can get two because mm-hmm. it's only a hundred dollars more than a regular switch. Yeah. Um, and I say only obviously the standard EFG caveats apply. These are high end luxury entertainment items. Uh, yeah. We encourage feeding our children before buying them video games. But when we get in, when we get into the point where you can afford these types of things, um, a second. You know, buying one Switch is 300 bucks. Um, buying two is... Uh, buying two Switch lights um, is 400 which is more palatable than, you know, two regular Switches. I say that as a family that has two regular Switches in it, right? Um, yeah, exactly. You know, you know the pain. I um, do. So, and we've talked about this already. We actually already had, like, a family meeting talking about how, yeah, we're going to have to get one of these... Or at least another switch, um, when before Animal Crossing. Yep. Because we have three children who right. all like that game, um, and my God, I don't think I don't want to deal with that those arguments. Um, That's so I think that the the two hundred dollar price point is right where it needed to be. I think if it mm-hmm. was two, if it was a little bit more, it might have been a problem. Um, yeah, I really, I am uh, confident that this is gonna be fine i think it's funny that nintendo has said that it's has come out on record as saying this is not replacing the 3ds when like come on guys <laughs> come on um the last game you guys published for it was what like kirby's epic yarn like ah uh, yeah and that's a wii port um by all means don't tell people not to buy the three like this year is going to be a great year to buy a 3ds because yeah, there's going to be is. awesome sales on them and um, the library is the, the library for a 3DS is arguably as good, if not better, than any library for any game console ever. If for nothing else, because you can play both DS and 3DS games on it. Um, mm-hmm. That's like literally all of the Pokemon. So like, it's still a great system. So by all means, like don't throw it in the trash. But come on, guys, it's the 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 the, uh, the technology. You know, the, the future marches on. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, for sure. So, um, it comes out September 30th. Um, yep. it, right now it has three really ugly colors. Um, a turquoise, a banana yellow, and gray. The turquoise gray. is nice. Okay, the turquoise is nice, but I think uh, um, GameCube blue... It, it feels like a miss to not make a GameCube blue, an NES gray, and... Nintendo 64 banana, you know, like neon green or something like that. Like these just feel like really safe colors. The banana yellow is probably the, that one's fine, but like turquoise, I don't know. How how about no purple? The really the no purple is what bothers me. And I know I'm wearing a purple shirt today. So like, maybe that's bothers me too. Hello. Um, Also wearing a purple shirt. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I hear um, that. I hear you. It just feels odd. The the choices feel odd, but obviously they're going to put out a million colors. Um, yeah. And a mil- you know, and there's a Pokemon version coming out a little bit before uh, Pokemon does. Um, a special edition that's going to have the two legendaries on the back, and then Cian and Magenta buttons. So that one looks kind of cool. Um, I'm just waiting for the Metroid one, <laughs> um, or uh, the the inevitable Link one when Breath of the Wild two comes out, because that's mm-hmm. really where we're living right now. Um, so I mean, that's where you're living right now. That's where, I, yeah. Yes, that is where I'm living. Um, so, you're right. I don't want to make assumptions, but yeah, I'm. 
this is gonna sell like crazy. Um, oh yeah, hotcakes. And it's, man, it's coming out right before Pokemon. Oh my god, I can't wait to read these sales numbers. It's gonna be bananas. Um, the guys, the, the folks over at NPD have got to be really excited. Like just pre-making their charts with like giant spikes in September. Um, so that's the Nintendo Switch Lite. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Uh, we're gonna have more news about those. As we get closer to launch, I am sure. Um, but one thing that is interesting about those is the Joy-Cons don't come off. They are fixed. Um, and speaking of Joy-Cons, uh, there's been a little bit of a controversy, or as they say across the pond, a controversy, about Joy-Cons and how they have been drifting. Yes. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I don't... I don't know. I don't think I've experienced any of the Joy-Con drift um, on any of my Joy-Cons, but I know of non-zero... I know that it's a non-zero number of people Mm -hmm. that have have been experiencing it, and it's definitely starting to pick up speed in terms of, you know, mainstream gaming articles starting to pick this up. Um, So the... The long and short of it is that there's a class action lawsuit that's been filed by um, a person in in Seattle, it looks like. I think it's in Seattle. Uh, yeah, in the U.S. District Court for the Western District of Washington at Seattle. So it alleges that a number of Nintendo Switch owners are experiencing drifting with the Joy-Con controllers, which mm-hmm. means that the movements are being registered in games when the analog sticks are left untouched. Mm-hmm. And if the drifting gets bad enough, it can render a Joy-Con practically useless. Yeah. So there's a lot of people that are speaking out about this. There are... Um, there was some significant outcry in response to this lawsuit being reported and we reported on it we reported on it um at game daily i think on friday that sounds about right yeah so we reported on it on friday and everybody started picking it up over the weekend um so what they're doing now however is they came back with another response because the initial response that they gave to us to kotaku to a number of other sites was just kind of like a really gross corporate response yeah, it was definitely a non-answer at best. Yeah, it was. I a, think at was, best it was a non-answer. Yeah, it was basically a non-answer. It was. It was a really, really frustrating. Um, yeah, it was. It was really, really frustrating. Yeah, I think that's a so, more accurate description, right? Calling it frustrating, like uh, we're used to non-answers from companies. Right? I am. Like we're but used to it, but consumer, this was not. This was like, uh, come on, guys. Yeah, but as a consumer, I mean. As a business as a business writer, I understand to a certain extent that you aren't going to be able to give the best responses all the time, even if you want to. But as a consumer, I deserve better. Yeah. So the outcry has created, um, you know, some critical mass such that on Vice today, they there was an internal Nintendo memo that is instructing customer service to fix the Joy-Con drift for free. Which is great. Yeah. Um, I was just about to bring that up because somebody uh, sent it to me a few minutes ago. Um, you're reading uh, Klepik's thing, right? Yeah, I read Klepik's thing. Yeah. Yeah, this is... It's the right call. It, assuming it is true, which I think it is, um, it makes sense. If I were in charge of their call center, that's what I'd do. 
mm-hmm. just get it fixed. Like, at all costs, do it for free, right? Like, do the software updates, see if you can get them to, you know, do the, um, the, the re, what's the word? Um, calibrate, recalibrate. Yeah. But then at the end of the day, if it's busted, you can't, you can't let these things go without getting fixed. So, um, if that's if that assuming that that memo is actually accurate, that's a pretty good uh, answer to this particular problem. Because excuse me, it's only going to get worse. Um, we have two Joy Cons that are drifting. That are drifty. Yeah, very drifty. Um, I thought personally, I thought it was our Fortnite playing. 10 year old that was doing it and so I I guess I owe him an apology because this is a uh, kind of industry wide problem and there's plenty of evidence you know like at this point people can't say there are a lot of folks on the internet that are like oh no you're just imagining things but no there's video evidence that they're drifting you know characters walking with the controller like on the table and stuff like that Mm -hmm. it's disappointing I mean it happens right like these are pieces of equipment but you know Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah, I guess the we'll, we'll, I'm sure both of our sites will be reporting on some of the details once they become a little bit more confirmed. Uh, but for the most part, if you're if you got drifty Joy Cons, um, contact Nintendo Customer Service and see what happens. Um, because if they're repair if they're replacing them at no cost, you may as well get some new Joy Cons. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, no reason not to. Um, so. That's the Joy-Con drifting problem. So my first recommendation is um, if you are experiencing that problem, like if your kids are saying that the controller is moving and they're not touching it or it's making it really hard to aim in Fortnite or something like that, um, just Google Joy-Con calibration. It'll give you instructions how to get into the memos. I would encourage you to do – or memos, menus. Um, I would encourage you to do that first. Um, and then if that doesn't work – then, you know, call Nintendo customer service. Save yourself the hassle. Because for a lot of folks, recalibrating occasionally is necessary, and that's the fix. Um, and it's really easy. It'll take you two minutes. I've done it a few times. Yeah, um, yeah it doesn't take very long. Yeah, it's nice and easy, nice and quick. Costs you zero time. You don't even have to talk to another human being. Um, just Google it up. Um, I might even write some instructions. Uh, as an experienced technical writer, perhaps I will do that uh, over the weekend. So that's the, the not fun news, that people have busted equipment. Let's talk about something that is fun, and that is Mixer. Um, Mixer is a streaming alternative to Twitch and YouTube uh, that is owned by Microsoft, and it looks like they're trying to come up with some interesting ways to set themselves apart from their more toxic neighbors. Um, and Amanda, you interviewed someone at Mixer themselves to talk about some of their new changes. You did. I so, did. Tell um, me about I, it. I didn't just talk to a someone. I talked to two someones. Whoa. Yeah, I, I talked to Chad Gibson, who is the general manager at Mixer, and I talked to Jen McCoy, who is Mixer's director of marketing. Okay. So, yeah. So I think that this is. I think that what Mixer is doing is really special, and I've been exclusively streaming on Mixer back when I did Ready Player Mom, and I haven't had a chance to do Ready Player Mom for Super Parent now since April. April, March. You've been very, very busy. Yes, because I've been incredibly busy now doing three jobs in the span of eight hours slash ten hours a day. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So yeah, I, I had a conversation with Chad and Jen yesterday to talk about some of the changes that they were going to be implementing in, on Mixer over the next six months. And I had this converse, I had a similar conversation with them last year to talk about some of the season two changes. Um, so the interesting changes that they've been doing include features that will nurture new streamers. They will help mitigate sa streamer safety. You can be, as a, as a viewer, you can report streamers for inappropriate content with just a click of a button. There will be a system being put, there will be a system put in place to review streamers who are new to the platform, improve software for moderation and a commitment to knowledge sharing with others in the industry, which is entirely Microsoft's jam right now. They are all about knowledge share. So I think the biggest thing for our audience as they're understanding um, how streaming works, let's say if your kid wants to start streaming and they're a teenager, what they're doing is they are creating through both their new code of conduct, which expressly prohibits the distribution of terrorist and violent extremist content, which is, you know, more than what Twitch is doing. And it's definitely more than what, uh, what YouTube is doing. You're going to, your, your channels are going to be able to be individually moderated. So you can set up parameters that will allow channel owners, you know, so let's say, you know, Grace wanted to, my daughter wanted to start streaming. She would be able to control what type of chat is allowed and what kind of terms are allowed. And you can already do that with Catbot on Mixer and that's available for every streamer to use. But they're allowing channels to have certain rules for user types essentially so if you're if you're a brand new user and you are or if you're a brand new audience for a particular streamer that streamer can now limit you to what you are allowed to say so you, maybe you're only allowed to say hello and you just have to hang out and chat and you only have access to saying these particular things and that's it and then if you stay longer there will be different rules that channel owners can apply to you so that you can have different kinds of interactions. So they're also doing a, they're implementing a streamer review system, which is going to go live at the end of August to help deter toxic streamers before they take root in Mixer's ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So um, Chad said, you know, any new streamers that want to come to Mixer are going to have to use their Microsoft account, which is already the case. You do need to use your Microsoft account. And that's going to help with any burner accounts that that might be set up um, as part of the streamer review system. Well, you know, Mixer is also going to have users go through and understand what it means to stream on Mixer, the things that Mixer stands for mm -hmm. and provide that additional streaming. So or additional screening so that, you know, you can get onboarded relatively quickly if you want to stream on Mixer, but you have to adhere to their community rules, which is awesome. Uh, um, it's amazing. Community health is, is the backbone of what is keeping Mixer competitive. They are la they, they are not there yet. Twitch is by far the dominant force in streaming. It, they've long eclipsed YouTube gaming and YouTube Live, and there are no stats available for Facebook Live at this point, especially from a gaming perspective. But they're also allowing any streamer that is on the platform to monetize before they become Mixer partners. So you can implement um, Mixer Embers, which is their paid currency, and users can spend Mixer Embers to have certain privileges on certain streams. 
depending on whether or not that streamer has Mixer Embers enabled. It's really interesting. It is like yeah. a stepping stone for monetization before you become a partner. And they're going to be pulling together a streamer progression dashboard so that streamers that are new to the platform and are like, what do I have to do in order to become partnered at Mixer? Well, they're pulling back the curtain and they're giving you like a series of steps that you need to take and what are your statistics look like and here's what you can do better and here's what we recommend. So, and, and on top of that, they're giving better moderation tools to individual channel moderators. They're implementing better moderation tools across Mixer to help uh, to help hum like professional moderators completely remove that terrible content before it even hits a user's eyes. Um, they're launching Mixer Academy, which is going to be a learning system that's helping stream that's going that's supposed to help streamers grow their skills. Mm -hmm. It's going to focus on areas like audience engagement, branding, monetization, and networking. There's also going to be a learning path for moderators. It's enormous. Yeah. Like this is turning Mixer from a scrappy little platform that could, because it used to be known as Beam.io. That's what I used to use it as. Mm -hmm. And then when Microsoft bought it, you know, they kind of struggled to find their footing to begin with. Well, now they stand for community. Community first, community always. Mm -hmm. And this is their way to reaffirm that to the community. And in a Twitch-centric world, they need every competitive advantage that they can get. And if I were a brand new streamer, I'm not going to go and start a stream on Twitch where I'm going to be drowned out. I'm going to go to Mixer where, you know, I'm going to be supported by a great team. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, let's let's call bias a bias here. Absolutely unbiased because I love Mixer. I stream on Mixer. Yeah. And that's what I recommend other people to stream on too. Well, because I mean, it's just such a pleasant platform. I can say firsthand every time I have streamed on Twitch. I've actually had a pretty negative experience with it. Um, you know, I have a pretty okay experience with Facebook, um, mm -hmm. which is where we do the bulk of our streaming and will likely continue. But um, one of the big differences in all the stuff that you described and the theme that I want to point out is, you know, when they talk about improving their community, um, it's not all about users um, and, like, toxic chat and things like that. Obviously, that is a problem, but one of the things that they talk about that Twitch doesn't, that YouTube doesn't, is getting rid of creators that are also part of the problem. Yep. Um, and that's a big issue on Twitch is that a lot of the – and same thing with YouTube um, – a lot of their most prolific creators are really problematic. Um, yeah, and, it's true. And I touch on that in my story. Yeah, um, which is linked in the show notes, by the way. Um it's one of those, you know, like, they're actually fixing it from the beginning, right? Like, good people attract good people. That's just how it works. It's and true. that's certainly possible, right? You know, I follow, yeah. um, you know, the Mommy Gamers. Marsha Morgan is a streamer on Twitch, and I follow her, and her community is great, and she is great. Um, and, she, you know, you can certainly build a community of positivity on Twitch, um, and Marsh is great too. I yeah, mean, she's such a lovely. It doesn't person. hurt that she is great. Yes. Um, but and she was able to do that kind of against all odds. Um, however, you know, Mixer they're working to try and get rid of some of the other folks that are just before they even get started and are hard to remove. Um, and I think that is such a good thing. So um, that's Mixer. Um, it's spelled just like you think it is. Um, but follow the link in the uh, show notes 
and um, you'll read Amanda's story because it really kind of gives a lot of information about what they're trying to do and how they're trying to improve it. And yeah. you can kind of make a decision there as to whether or not that's the kind of atmosphere either you would want to be a part of or maybe that's where you want your kids to watch. Um, so um, that was a lot of video game stuff, Amanda. That was a lot of video game stuff, and I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff we talked about today. Um, and with that said, that was episode 180, no, 190 Nailed of it. Engage, a family gaming podcast. We're getting very close to 200, my friend. Um, we're so gonna have to throw. That, we're gonna have to throw a pretty crazy party. Um, so, folks, next week, Amanda and I will be back with Linda to talk about the board games that she played at Connecticut Fig because she was a judge there in the board game area, um, and uh, we will be talking all about Gen Con. Um, so, I hope you have a great week. We will talk to you soon, um, and until next time, don't forget to get your family game on. We'll see you soon, folks. Bye now. Bye. Thank you for listening to Engage, a family gaming podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week.